if you don't mind doing a quick intro for the listeners who may not know who you are, what you do. Okay. Hey guys, my name is Nishala. I currently work at S&P Global. I'm a full-time natural gas pricing analyst. So essentially I set the natural gas benchmarks with the rest of my North American team. It's the world's largest PRA. So 80% of all natural gas trades are done against this benchmark. And I'm also a part-time model, I would say. (laughs) Talk a little bit more about what you do, if you don't mind. I think that's really interesting how you kind of are able to navigate in both worlds and navigate at a higher level than what would be considered normal. So in college, I majored in finance and management, and I did a specialty track in global energy management where I was given the opportunity to participate in a research project. And Houston being the energy capital of the world, we have the Gutierrez Energy Management Institute, and I was able to do a research project for a how Houston itself is going to move towards a low carbon electricity grid. So I did this in collaboration with the Center for Houston's Future, and I was able to present in front of over 500 energy executives in Houston, and we were basically talking about how Houston's infrastructure, what we would need to get to low carbon or a net zero grid by 2050. And we basically came up with different scenarios, how this would be feasible. And that helped me land this gig um, at S&P Global, which has been amazing. It really has been a crazy year for me so far because I was able to just rise into my position into a senior analyst in it within a year. And I basically cover right now the West markets as well as Texas and the Southeast. And I would say that I'm blessed in the sense that my job for most of the year last year has been remote. And I was able to start it after I did Miss Houston, which kind of was the catalyst to my modeling career. So even though it's all pretty fresh for me, it's been about a little over a year since I started juggling both. I've been able to manage it because I've mostly been remote and been able to figure out ways to, I wouldn't say the word is standardized, but like, um, streamline. Yeah, like streamline all of my daily tasks, as well as what I need to get done for modeling, planning out shoots in advance. (laughs) I basically set up little systems in my life to make sure that I can hit my goals. How complicated is it really to get to, you know, zero carbon or zero net carbon, um, And, you know, how does that system work? Because I personally don't know about, you know, how energy is even produced. Yeah. Uh, So I'd be curious to hear about that. And I'm I'm sure other people would be as well. Yeah. So right now, um, natural gas, I would say, is the largest commodity out there. And that's what's basically powering our homes and our, like, industrial facilities and, like, residential commercial homes. And that involves like the heating and cooling of our houses. So it's funny because a lot of people think like, oh, when I say I'm a natural gas pricing analyst, they think that I have something to do with the gasoline prices right now. And it's just a total misconception because I mean, I'm sure the gas markets are all, they're all like um, intertwined a little bit, but natural gas and gasoline are two different commodities. (laughs) And um, I would say that's the biggest misconception. And then Going back to the low carbon grid, it was really cool to be able to be a part of this research project because I didn't really know what um, 
I would say like the key issues were for us to get to that low carbon grid, right? Because everyone's like, oh, we want clean energy. Oh, we want this and that. And yes, we want that. However, we don't really have the infrastructure in place um, to really get to a net zero grid. And to get there by 2050, we would need to do like extensive, like there, ne there needs to be extensive funding that goes into like the infrastructure, including storage. So I would say storage is the biggest issue with the United States getting to a low carbon grid, as well as some areas don't really have all the renewable production available. Like in Texas, right? We have um, we have wind farms, but they're all in like West Texas and that area over there. So it's like, and all the storage facilities. So whenever ERCOT went down, it's because the solar farms and the panels and everything kind of froze over in West Texas. So that affected the whole entire US, like Texas blackout. What happened was that all the infrastructure in place in Texas wasn't ready for that. And that's because we've been dealing with global warming and all of these new um, issues that are just like really fresh. So like when temperatures dropped, Texas wasn't ready. Our electricity grid wasn't ready to handle that. So it basically crashed. And that's why they had to do these rolling blackouts to at least try to keep the power on throughout. But we didn't have enough energy in storage or the infrastructure to help keep the power on throughout Texas. And we also don't have access to renewables the way that the West and the Pacific Northwest do. So they have like hydro generation. We have like, we only have like two nuclear power plants throughout the US, I believe. And then they, even in the West, they have like all of the wind power that they get from um, windmills, not windmills, but <laughs> wind farms. And then they right. also have a lot of solar farms out there just because they have the land and they're um, have the funding and all of that. But here, we don't really have that. But what we do have in Texas and in Houston, which is why Houston can possibly lead this like low carbon, like net zero grid transition is we have um, compressed air energy storage. So we also have these salt caverns, taverns where you can possibly store the natural gas for longer periods of time. And another thing is that you can use 48 hour lithium ion batteries and there's just a shortage in lithium. And it's like, it's been difficult for us to basically put, <laughs> to basically like create more of these like lithium ion batteries because there is a shortage. And it's just really like expensive. It's super expensive to like get all of this infrastructure into place. So what we did was we came up with four or five scenarios as to how we could possibly get there and like how many lithium ion batteries would we need or how like and these are huge <laughs> it's like these are large-scale projects it's like when we talk right. about batteries it's like people think we're talking about little batteries but we're not it's like these are like large-scale projects that need to be going on they need the funding and then I think what's cool too is that I think we're moving into a world where we are going to start having carbon credits which is like going to help people start moving towards cleaner energy because you can buy carbon credits to offset your costs and you're basically getting a deduction to not emit methane or carbon into the into the earth which is i mean into the yeah atmosphere yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's certainly a a fascinating topic that i feel like isn't talked about enough um, considering the level of significance it holds. And yeah. I think it's interesting to kind of 
dive into that a little bit and, and learn about different energy sources. So if we were to boil it down, would you say it's more of a storage problem than a production problem? Uh, yes, I would say that because I think it's storage and in production, I would say there's a lot of new technology, like you can create blue hydrogen or green hydrogen, which is like a cleaner version of the natural gas. And I think we're getting there, but I would say the biggest problem is storage. Cause even if we get there and we create this blue hydrogen or green hydrogen, there's no way where to store it. And there's no, and there's a limited time you can store it, right? Cause then it's like, how can we take everything that we produce and get the gas where it needs to go? Right. So, I think that's what's really cool. And I'm getting to speak about the West gas markets at a seminar in like two weeks. And there's like going to be a lot of key players in the market there. So I'm super excited to really dive into that and utilize the market knowledge that I've kind of picked up over the last year. While you're doing this, you also get to a point where you, you know, start toying with the idea of modeling, being a model. What's that balance like for you? Uh, we can touch on that. And also when we spoke last time, we talked about how you had to overcome a lot of mental barriers to be able to, to even be able to do that. I would say it's been a little bit of a juggling game, trying to balance both modeling and my career, because it is very demanding, I would say, to be researching and um, just keeping myself fresh because I'm so new to the markets and like I'm a young player and everyone else has been in the industry for years right and they have all this market knowledge that they're all passing down to me so balancing it with also modeling which is like a totally different world and industry it was all really fresh so it's still like I'm learning in both I would say but um, I think the biggest thing was is I wondered how people would perceive me or if they would take me seriously when I'm talking about natural gas and when I'm talking about the markets if they knew that I was also a model because it is like the energy industry is you know has been known to be like a very like white man's world <laughs> industry um it's very heavily male dominated and I would say the company that I work at though has really diversified so there's a lot of women I actually work on a team with mostly women which has been really awesome and refreshing but even then, um, I would say it's been a little bit hard because I think my coworkers now slowly know that modeling is something that I also do on the side, but I was really hesitant and nervous to tell them that in the beginning because before I started the job, I was actually running, I did Miss Houston. And when I had told the director of the Energy Institute that I was competing for Miss Houston, he was like, oh, okay. Like, and I don't mean anything to him. Like, I adore him. He was a great mentor. But I think he was just like, okay, sure, you're doing a beauty pageant. Um, but anyways, like, are you done with your research? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's been a little bit tough kind of navigating it personally and like wonder, because at the end of the day, it's like, why should I be worried about someone else's perception of me? However, this is also what I'm passionate about and I'm also so new to both so it does feel like sometimes I'm walking on eggshells but 
I'm trying to overcome that myself. And I have, like, there's moments and periods of time where I'm like, well, I can do whatever I want. Like, this is my life. I can craft it the way I want. And then I hear people say like, you know, eventually you're going to have to pick like what you really want to do. Like you're going to come to this crossroads, but I would say I'm not at the, those crossroads yet. So I'm still trying to like, you know, that quotes like you're the artist of your own life. Why hand the paintbrush to someone else? Like, why would I let someone else control when I come to those crossroads? Like when I was studying um, for the LSAT and when I was about to go to law school, I think I, I heard it a little bit more because I was working at law firms and people would just, I don't know, uh, project their judgment onto me. Um, and, you know, it used to kind of hurt my feelings. And it's funny because like, um, I get my hair and makeup done by like some more people that always like to work with me. And they all told me recently that it's like, they can tell that I've like toughened up or like have thicker skin or whatever it is because I just don't let people's opinions phase me as much. And, you know, at the end of the day, people can say whatever, but the last thing that they're gonna do is stand in my way because if I want it bad enough, I'll always find a way. And I always think that I can navigate through situations um, just because like, you just have to believe it. Like you have to have that resilience and believe that something, if this doesn't work for you, like this rejection is redirection. And if you, you really trust that, you'll always find yourself in better situations and just growing versus limiting yourself for listening to people say like, oh, I could never do that. Or I don't know how you do it. Um, or all these, like, I don't know. Or yeah, it's just sad too, because sometimes I feel like some women maybe want to do those things or have these aspirations to do certain things that I do, but feel like because they're in their professional roles or whether it's corporate or they're in their like law field or whatever, that they can't do certain things either. But it's like, who told you that? Like, who told you that you can't do it? And I'm sorry. And I want to be that person that can tell you you can do it if you want to. And I feel like that's why I've had a lot of younger girls reach out to me because they say, oh, how can I do what you're doing? Which is crazy because I feel like I'm still growing and I'm still learning and I'm still like young too, right? Because then I hear <laughs> like, oh, you're too young. Like, don't worry, just be patient. And I'm always like still hungry for more. So it's very interesting to be like where we're at. I love having natural conversations, but I also want to be mindful of, you know, what the other person doesn't want out there. Yeah. But I feel like that's like the most interesting shit to me is the yeah. stuff that people don't necessarily want to put out there. Yeah. Cause like, I don't really mind. Like, and the thing is too, is like, I don't really mind. Right. Cause like whenever there's all these younger girls that are like looking up to me and asking me like, because I get so many DMs. So I've been thinking about just making a highlight or something talking about my experience. Cause I've been like person, and I don't mind being personable and like responding to each person. But as my plate is already big and I already have a bunch of things on it. It's like hard for me to keep up with social media. Like even with my posting and stuff, like I stayed really consistent with TikTok for a month and I broke like 10.8 K, which was awesome because I was like, wow, this is possible. But then I stopped for like the last month because I've been having to like prep for these presentations and like focus on my career. And I've been telling you like, I'm trying to transition and like navigate that space, which is a lot of like turning internal and going, what do I really want? And like remaking the idea of my old vision board from a year ago. Cause you just change so much every year. At least I've noticed that for myself. And it's like yeah. so fast that like what you really want and what you dream about and think is possible changes every year 
And like for everyone, like that could be different. But for me, it's like my dreams are getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like if I put this down on a vision board and then I reverse engineer this and come up with a plan, I can really do it because I think I'm smart and I think I'm capable and like all of your confidence kicks in. And that's why I think it's okay to have a little bit of an ego because you can use your ego to help you get there. Like, yeah, you know, how we were talking about how like we're rambling, but like, we're really like spitting facts. So it's like, no, you certainly know. are. Um, you made a lot of good points there. One thing I've found in my experience is that the speed with which you actualize your dreams always surprises me. If I think about something or set a goal and whatever, for whatever reason, if I have a moment of doubt or, you know, circumstantially like doubt kicks in and I'm in that energy for uh, an extended period of time, maybe even a week or two weeks, my dream is like adjacent, like it's right next to that. Whenever that doubt kicks in, granted you put a consistent level of effort in, uh, which I imagine you do. I mean, I've, you know, I've observed you doing a bunch of shit at the same time. And you kind of lean into that as well on your social media, you kind of showcase that, hey, I can do two things at once, and I can do it at a high level. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that is a key contributor in your ability to actualize your dreams and then go and set bigger goals. I think what stops a lot of people is that just doubt, like, that's where you can use the ego. But the ego can also contribute to the doubt. Because if you think you deserve something and it's not happening, then you just, you know, you, you're, you're, you're so unhappy with yourself that your priority at that moment becomes seeking happiness, not seeking progression. Yeah. And breaking out of that is um, extremely important, obviously, but maybe we can touch on some of the ways you can break out of that. You can break out of like the comparison aspect of, Hey, I don't have what this person has. So I'm, gonna be unhappy until I get what that person has and I'm not gonna be able to focus on the present moment and do my day-to-day tasks justice or my future self justice because I'm sitting in a state of unhappiness and discontent yeah because one time someone told me like the secret to your dreams is in your daily habits and I feel like that really changed the way I looked at things. And like, I'm not going to be the one to say that I don't doubt myself or I don't have my moments or just like periods of times where I get into like these little ruts. And I would say a part of that comes from like just struggling with depression over time and really having to focus on unwiring those subconscious habits. Because I feel like when growing up, I was always in these like high stress environments that caused me to basically like vibrate at a low frequency and like I find this weird comfort in the sadness or in the self-doubt and all of these things. And I think breaking out of that, um, I've done that in like so many different ways, right? Like kind of going back to what you were saying, like even when it comes to like, oh, like I had a bunch of college like loans and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to pay off these loans. Like these like thousands of dollars. I don't know how I'm going to get there. But then when I was in college, like it's like you look for the opportunity in your day to day like to eventually actualize your dreams right and this like when you look for these opportunities the doubts start to erase because like you're also manifesting at the same time it's hard to explain but I just remember like how I got into my finance track right I was always political science I thought I was going to go straight into law school I thought okay like this is the track that I'm going to be on but I was like okay like 
when I went into the business school at UH, I loved it. I loved the entrepreneurship program. I loved the finance program. I loved the sales program. I was like, this is awesome. I don't know what I need to do in the business school, but I know I need to be here. So I switched over. And I remember um, when the finance panel came in and they were talking and they were talking about how in different finance um, jobs, how you can have the opportunity to travel and see the world. And then someone was talking about the energy industry. And I was like, wow, like energy is the most expensive like commodity. Like we all need energy. It's never going to go anywhere. This industry is never dying. Although there's transitions like from oil to natural gas and now renewables, it's never going to go anywhere because we all need it. And like it connects the entire world. And I was like, okay, so I need a finance degree and I want to get into the energy industry. And that's kind of like what drove me there because they also say like never you know, connect yourself to one job or one place, right? So I just knew that one of my purposes or my intentions or what I wanted was to travel or to get into a job where I have financial security and have all these opportunities to see the world. And that was just the small little seed that I had planted in my head that helped me get there. But then eventually I was like, okay, I have all these student loans. So I'm in my finance classes and I remember taking an investment class and just like hearing my professor, my investment management professor, I would sit in the front all the time. And we wouldn't really talk about opening brokerage accounts or anything like that. But he had briefly mentioned it one day. And I honestly had no idea how to do that. Like I, my, I was in India. Um, my whole family, I'm like a first generation, like I'm, I'm an immigrant, you know, um, even when I took out student loans, I didn't know where to take out student, lo student loans. I didn't know anything about these like interest rates or anything, right? Because what we're like 17, 18, making these decisions that are going to change our lives mm -hmm. with no financial, like literacy or background. Like I'm like, my dad tried to help me a little bit, but didn't really know that much. Like he was always in tech and always in a different world. And he could have helped me a little bit more like in hindsight, but I had already made the decision because <laughs> I was with my mom at the time and she had, didn't, had like no idea, right? It was kind of like figure it out, like how are you going to pay for school? Right. So I was like asking around the, my friends and it's <laughs> it was sad because I ended up taking a student loan that actually took like a large, um, it was a private loan. So there was a huge interest rate on it. So every year I would look at it while I was in college and I would watch it grow and grow. And I was like, wow. So when I was in this investment management class, essentially I went to my professor and I was like, what is a brokerage account? Like, how can I open one? And how can I start investing in them? So he didn't tell me like what stocks to invest in or anything like that, but he did tell me, you know, you can kind of look at the markets and see what companies you're interested in and what you can see potentially growing or uh, companies that are about to IPO or, you know, like different things that can help you make smarter investments. And I wouldn't say that I've read any of those investment books because I haven't yet, but I plan to. But then at this point, I'm like a sophomore, junior in college and I started investing. I opened my first brokerage account like with Fidelity and I was like, cool what companies can I invest in? And this was uh, right before the pandemic started. So I was in my first co-op. And then next thing you know, I had only opened the brokerage account. I think I bought like one or two stocks. I don't even know what I bought them in because it was like, oh, I'm just testing this out. Markets crash. Okay, I'm at a co-op, I get laid off. So then I'm getting unemployment checks. 
And it just happened to be that at the same time, I was kind of into fitness, but I'd fractured my foot. So all I had to do was sit there at home. And I was like, what can I do? I can learn how to invest. <laughs> and I basically um, invested all of my unemployment checks like into one of the companies I invested into was Enphase Energy. And at the time I chose Enphase. And right now I can't invest in any energy stocks. I've had to pull out because I work for S&P Global. <laughs> but um then I invested in Enphase and I knew that um, they had heavily invested in some of these like LNG facilities that were coming in and liquid natural gas is like the next thing, right? Because we can export all this liquid natural gas to um, Europe, Asia, all these places and help them slowly start the transition to low carbon um, emissions. And it was awesome because I invested in them and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to trust this. Like, it's crazy because like you're playing with money that you could possibly be using to like pay off your loans, but like you're just testing it out. So I was like, cool, I'm going to invest in this. I remember I invested in Peloton before it like, you know, blew up and then came oh, yeah. back down. Um, and I had a few other investments like that. And next thing you know, like I held on to them for like a year and they all like tripled in value and it was awesome. And I didn't have to pay short-term capital gains tax. And I was like, cool, um, I'm going to pay off a large chunk of my student loans with these investments that I made because I had it, I had the funds and I had the means. So, I mean, I paid off like half of them, something like that. And then I kept some in my portfolio mix and I kept like changing it around a little bit and doing it again. Like, it's just like, you're testing it out. And I've had a lot of people along the way say like, oh, if you have student debt, you shouldn't be investing. Or if you have debt, like you shouldn't be investing. And to be honest, I think that my story is very contradictory to that. And a lot of people's are because there is a way like you can literally do nothing, be sitting and riding on the market, except for right now, like obviously we're going down into a recession, but like, I do think that people should take full advantage of it if they can, like, you know, just watch the markets. And then that's how a lot of people became successful after 2008, 2009, because they took advantage of what happened. Um, but you got to have cash on hand for that too. Like, and that's why it's like, I would say like, save your cash now because that, that's what I'm doing. Like, that's why a part of yeah. me wanted to move, but I'm like, I want to save my cash now because I have a feeling like if I invest this right, I, I think it can do well. But what I was saying was, I think that if people make smart investments that they can take the little amount of money that they have and multiply it and then eventually hit their goal to like pay off loans. And like, I never thought that that would be possible for me to pay off my student loans like a, uh, like six months into my new job. Um, it was cool because I was in New York City like last October and my dad sent me a, like a picture of the letter that we got at home. He was like, congrats. He wrote like, congratulations. <laughs> it was like, the fact that I paid off my student loans. And it was awesome. It was a really good feeling. And I was grateful enough to like, eventually have his help along the way like my parents were always very like not uh I wouldn't say that they weren't supportive but my dad always wanted to teach me how to work hard to like really achieve my dreams and he's done that in very interesting ways I would say um and he did help me uh here and there like if instead of like birthday money I'd be like can we just knock off a little bit of this but right um, I would say that he did teach me like the importance of working hard and like figuring it out because that's what he had to do, right? Um, he figured out how to get out of the little village that I was born in to go to the city, then eventually come to America. And then, you know, we didn't really have the funds for me to him 
for him to like full on pay for me to go to school, but um, he did like teach me different things that helped guide me. So grateful for that. <laughs> no, that's, that's really, really cool to hear. Um, and I think that's super inspiring in a lot of ways. I do want to dive into the curiosity aspect of, of that statement or of, of that story rather, like what drove you to figure out that you had to get out of this situation? Was it out of necessity or was it out of just the desire to, you know, evolve and, and, and progress and um, change the course of your life, essentially? I would say it was the desire to change the course of my life. I would say that that is the driving aspect of a lot of things that helped me like talk about confidence, right? Like how you're saying, like our dreams are adjacent to our doubt. Um, I would say I really wanted to change the course of my life and I didn't doubt it. I was like, I will do this. Like I need to do this because I don't know, like I, I was telling you a little bit, like I went through a lot of things when I was younger and I always was in a high stress environment. And I went through something where I had to like, I had to go to court and deal with the court case. I was a victim on a trial and I had to deal with it for five years. So it took and changed the trajectory of my life then, right? It took me from being like an all A like student um, in all these AP classes to playing the viola and doing orchestra and all these things. And it totally changed me into like someone who was failing their classes, super depressed, couldn't function. And then at this point, it was, it was very interesting. So my freshman year, I was still failing. So it was crazy because all my friends were on the trajectory to go to Ivy Leagues or some of the top schools in the States. And it was awesome and I was proud of them. And I was sitting there at those tables with them. I was studying to be there. I was gonna be one of those students, right? Um, but I just got too depressed to function and I just wasn't able to make the grades and I couldn't even eat or feed myself or play soccer anymore. And my freshman year, I was still doing that except I had finally had freedom because I moved, I moved senior year to Atlanta, then I moved back to Houston. And I had this freedom in college that I never had before. So I'm like partying, doing all these things. I got a 2.4 GPA my freshman year, my first semester. After that year, freshman year, my dad- So bad. <laughs> Just kidding. I talk about, I talk about my, my freshman year. It'll be laughable, but go ahead. <laughs> you're like it's so bad but I don't know people were just like oh like it was just so frowned upon or whatever right and now in hindsight I'm like GPA like who cares like <laughs> about being measured like academically like in your like I don't know in an environment but anyways um I would say my dad took me on a trip after my freshman year he's like I'm gonna show you like the highs and lows of life and like where you come from so the first thing we did was we went to Dubai and he showed me like, we went like sand surfing. We went like through the desert, like jeeping through the desert. It was, it was awesome. It was like the best trip. Then we went to India and we went to Hyderabad and my family is like pretty, it's like, they have a nice life there. And then he like took me to the village and he's like, I'm going to show you where you were born and like what you come from. And this <laughs> trip changed my whole perception. Like I had been to India before and I had already like, you know, seen what it's like in the villages etc but when you go there as a young adult like given the education and everything we have like although like I have a tragic story it's like you know 
I humble myself and remind myself that a lot of people also have those stories and it's kind of like what you do with them but going here to the village and like having all these like little kids like they're just like playing in a dirt yard like they don't really have much and they're so happy with what they have and they're all like dreaming to be bigger and do more like it fed my heart and it fed my soul in a place that like is just so like irreplaceable and I would say that going back to what you're asking it's like I wanted to be greater than the constraints of my environment because I felt like I was destined for more like I I just feel it I feel like I'm destined for more because I can show people or be the epitome of what it is to be an American dream or to show people that okay you can grow out of these environments or and like it really humbled me to see where I came from and like what my life could have been and you know the universe god like whatever people may believe in but like I believe in God and the universe and like that brought me here and gave me these opportunities and gave me a totally different perspective that other people don't have and you know they can see it but they'll never really understand it and I felt that within myself and it really drove that curiosity to say like how can I get myself out of this what's the fastest way I can get myself out of this because I also wanted financial freedom more than anything just as a as a young woman but also just as a woman of color and being an Indian woman like my mom like and grandma like did not have financial literacy so they didn't really have that freedom but I was like okay I want that freedom and right now I don't necessarily have that freedom because of like anybody like controlling me like my dad has really changed a lot but I know that him following like the old like imperialism colonialism like misogynistic Indian mindset like he would control like the finances and we also didn't have much to work with back then but um you know like all the men in India they like control the women through finances and I was just like okay right now what's controlling me okay my student loans because like I worked all through college like I had different jobs I worked at Kendra Scott I worked as a leasing agent like I just did all these different things because I was like I need to get myself out of here and I need to like, you know, my family didn't have much money and I wanted money to travel and I wanted to do things. So it's like, I have to work to get there. And I wish I saved more then, but like I did best like with what I had. And yeah, I think it was the drive to want to be greater than my environment and having all of this perception, I would say really helped fuel me because it kept my, kept my eyes on the prize. And that's how like, I knew I wanted to get out of that situation then, um, my like freshman, sophomore year, but it wasn't until like so end of sophomore, junior year where like the opportunity presented itself or like, you know, I maybe manifested this investment management course or like the trajectory to get there, right? Cause that's what, how like, you know, maybe I didn't know it at the time, but like now telling you the story, I feel like it was all working in my favor anyways, because like I wouldn't have chose the finance degree if I didn't realize the importance of financial literacy and like how much it means to people and how much further money can go in India, et cetera. And like, I knew that I, I know that at the end of the day, like I want to go back there and, um, you know, help spread education and awareness and help people like come out of their situations to, to achieve more because they can and they deserve to. Absolutely. Um, Going going back to to India definitely gives you context of in terms of like what 
the different levels of reality that people operate in and that perception is invaluable like once you once you realize the difference between you being that kid and you being this person is just the sacrifices and decisions your parents made strategically like what you're doing now with financial independence is what they did with you like that was their entire life and and some parents are different right like obviously but um i can i guess i'll speak from my perspective uh, my mom made a lot of sacrifices to like bring me here and herself here and give me all the opportunities that um you know this country presents and it's fascinating to observe people that have been born here um not recognize the level of opportunity that's always around them and i think those are the same people that present their opinions that try to down people that have that perception of like yo i could have been that kid playing in the dirt or like maybe it wouldn't have been me based on you know yeah. my life but um it's not much difference like i could have been the kid that didn't really understand what this world had to offer um how you can make money using money like all these little things that are now unfolding especially in this age of information i think that's also contributing to bridging that gap in a lot of ways um some like there's so many talented smart kids that exist all over the world and they want to come here they want to go to europe they want to create things they want to build and shape the future they just don't have the opportunity and yeah. i think it's um it's wasteful for people who do have the opportunity to not capitalize on it in my opinion as opposed to like just trying to down other people and operate in these um these loops of seeking happiness seeking validation like the, that shit doesn't make sense to me when yeah. we can just shape the future and create stuff for other people yeah exactly and like i feel like a life worth living is like one that's in service for other people and like uplifting people because you're basically gonna create a legacy right and like I feel like education is one of the most valuable commodities or something that's like irreplaceable because here like you're right like people that were born here or like you know have been raised here more and like not as connected to their roots they don't realize the value of education right or they don't see they're like oh like I have to go take these classes or I have to go do this but it's like no you get the opportunity to do this and like that's mm -hmm. where if you break out of these cycles that you kind of taught yourself because like I used to complain too but the second I went and I realized like you're right like it is just one person removed because I see that when I look at my cousin that's a year younger than me that was raised in India this whole time like right now I'm so proud of her she got her master or she's gonna come get her master's here in the states but like she had lived her whole entire life over there and raised their whole thing and it's just like that really could have been me if my dad didn't make these sacrifices yeah change his life to cater it around raising me and that's why like they're so hard on us when we were younger like like he made me play competitive chess do karate do like all these things like I did Bharatanatyam like Indian traditional dance I did like the viola soccer like he was like you are gonna be something I don't know what you're gonna be but you're gonna be something like he made me do all these things right because right. he it's just like I sacrificed so much for you to, to do this. We would complain so much because we were like, what is going on? I want to play outside with my friends. And like, I don't know. Um, Did you but, ever have moments where you were like, why are you so annoying? Why am I so limited yeah. by this? Yeah, when my dad made me play chess and I would have to yeah. go to 
noble with my chess master I remember that because I would sit there and my dad would be sitting not far away like watching me practice and I would stare at him and just be like why <laughs> isn't like, it fascinating how now you look at that and like see see it for what it what what it really was like see the value in that I think as I'm getting older I'm realizing a lot of the things that my mom did that annoyed me when I was you know younger were so pure and so just full of like yeah man the value in that is I think being an immigrant is really like it really does give you an advantage in a lot of ways even if you don't you know necessarily feel like you had the best upbringing because the other the other side of this is the mental health aspect of it right like we're just talking about I guess opportunity and 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 from an optimistic standpoint but this does take a toll on your mental health growing up in this these environments and you know living up to the expectations that have been placed on you that you maybe don't feel like you can meet or don't have the confidence to meet and you don't have the confidence because the people that are supposed to shape your confidence destroy it on purpose so that you actually do more than you are doing and it's like how do you navigate that yeah, and I would say that is so spot on, especially like me growing into the person that I'm becoming. Like, I would say, because being an immigrant comes with all of the, like, you know, our families dealt with op- oppression, they dealt with colonialism, imperialism that created so much pain and angst, like, amongst them, right? And all of their norms, their social norms. Like, for me, I joke about it with my family, but it's, like, how am I, like, the golden child and the black sheep of my family, right? Because I have broken every stereotype that they tried to cast on me, and I feel like I don't know how my spirit was crafted this way, but I, I know it was for a reason, right? Because my parents never really understood. They always just thought I was a rebellious kid growing up too. (laughs) And this was before I started to go through all the things I went through. And even like when my parents, you know, got a divorce when I was younger, it was so frowned upon by the Indian community. They were just like, oh, you have divorced parents. And I remember like we were kind of outcasted, et cetera. So that already like created an identity issue within myself Mm -hmm. is where like, I would say the root cause of like, you know, imposter syndrome. I feel like a lot of immigrant people deal with imposter syndrome in general because it's like, oh, we're we're Indian, born in India, and I'm proud, but I'm also I'm an American. Like I'm an American citizen. I was raised here. Like you yeah. can be both, and it's just like it creates like an identity crisis, right? A lot of people talk about how schools were when we were growing up, and I feel like that was the start for me. Um, and then. I was just very rebellious and that's like even now like me being an Indian model like that's why like people are so interested some people are very intrigued and I get a lot of messages from like older Indian people they're like it's so amazing to see someone like you step outside of the norm or what's considered normal because like I never even wore bikinis or anything like that like in public until like a few years ago like three years ago maybe four and like it's just all of these things because we don't really talk about like also like just the the pressures that we get because like it feels like our parents did make all these sacrifices for us so we have to follow this like path that they had set for us which is why people make mm-hmm. those jokes about like Indian people needing to be like lawyers or doctors or all these things right and it wasn't only until recently where I had a conversation with my dad and I was like when I was telling him I didn't want to go to law school I was like 
I know that this is your idea of success and what success looks like, but I don't think it's mine. And that was a really hard conversation to have with him. And I know it like broke his heart, but as he sees me like doing all the things I'm doing now and like making stuff happen, He's like at this point where I was like, I got 10K on TikTok. And he was like, oh, congratulations. And like, nothing to them. Yeah. He's like, I have no idea what that means, but like, cool. Like, let's go get lunch. And it was just like nice because he's just like knew that I was excited about it, which is like still nothing, right? In the grand scheme of things. But I, it's been very interesting for him to kind of slowly get there because it's like, it, I dealt with a lot of mental turmoil to like even grow into the person I am now. And it's also like the stigmas of like mental health, like our families don't really, you know, get the help that they, they need. Like, so that's the difference, right? Um, we're, we are talking about all the great things, but like the mental health aspect that our parents also go through because they have issues communicating with us because they brought us here into this new environment to grow us here. But like, they also didn't understand how totally different, like, it's a totally different social construct and environment. So it's like, how can we fit in at home and also fit in in school or or whatever it is, right? Because we only have those pressures when we're younger to like fit in. And even now, I know some people struggle with that as an adult, but like our parents never, like when we talk about like, oh, mental health and like, it's important to take care of yourselves. Your parents are like, what does that mean? Like, just go work. means nothing, yeah. (laughs) Mental health, uh, they'll give you stories about all the shit they went through and like, yeah. Those, like, well, I used to walk like 10 miles. Right. Like, like, <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> like, I can never, I can never, my burdens can never compare to, to yours. Yeah. But it, I think it's interesting. Like, from my perspective, I'm observing my mom now kind of ease into this world and like the, this culture and not ease into mm-hmm. it in the sense that she had a hard time adjusting or anything like that. But just the mentality of it the mentality of this world and like thinking about things from a different perspective as opposed to her preconceived notions of reality in the world and you know my grandpa's still here and I hear stories about how he uh during the partition like ran on rooftops to to go to you know what's now India and and be free and not get killed by um you know uh the people that they were having war with I don't want to kind of throw that out there like that but um and I hear those stories and then I hear about my mom's upbringing of like I went to school and you know I would walk home and uh, we didn't really have much and like getting a coke on my birthday was like a big deal and I hear that and then I'm like think about all the stupid shit I've done and like all the money I've spent on on trying to impress people and all this stuff and I'm like what was what where was my value system at without having that context you know like your mom like a coke like and like little things like that is like was so big and such a celebration and like how we're <laughs> internalizing like oh yeah like we're trying to invest six figures into this or like how are we going to get there and it's like our problems are totally different and I don't know for me personally it creates this like inner turmoil like this immigrant child guilt that I feel like a lot of immigrant people feel because it's like you know, our parents did make all these sacrifices and gifted us this new life, but it's also like, we can't even like, they tell us those things. And I don't, I know it's because they're trying to give us perspective, but it creates this like inner turmoil or like creates a cap for us in our mind, unless you're like stronger than that and like can overcome it because it's like, you know, instead of taking it as like 
oh, like you should just be appreciative for what you have. Like, yes, you should be, but you should also still aspire to achieve more because it's like, I want to show my dad, like, I can take you to a really nice restaurant and I don't want you to look at the bill because um, yeah. I don't really bother you, but um, just enjoy yourself. And it's really hard for them to do that, which also makes me really sad because <laughs> I really want my dad to enjoy the nice things that I'm able to now provide for him because it's like you know I make now as a young woman like probably close to what he made a few like you know years into his career which is really sad but it's like I'm only able to do that and like make double or triple like what he made when he first started because like he gave me the opportunity to become this person and I'm grateful and I want to be able to give it back to him and I want to be able to give it back to the village in India where he went to school. Um, I know that my dad has always, like one thing I learned was that he was always secretly donating money back over there, even though we didn't really have much, you know, to begin with. But mm -hmm. it's like, that's able to do that. Like, I can do you one better is what I told him. Like when I was um, a, a freshman in, in college, um, I just knew that, I wanted him to know that his sacrifices weren't um, unwarranted or like, you know, without fruition, um, even though he knows and he's happy with where I am, but I'm just reminding him that I'm not done yet. And this is just the very beginning. Um, but I also want, I hope that like, you know, they can get there to a place where they can really enjoy like the stuff that we provide for them, you know? But my dad, I know, still loves to live a humble life and he like wants to retire on a farm and all of that. It's so. a different value system, right? Like they're just not even being exposed to the the value system that a lot of people hold in this country is kind of, it just helps you detach from that at all. Like in it, in it, it helps you detach from that entirely. Um, one thing I wanted to say was while we kind of, find ourselves in a position where you want to provide like your parents with nice things and, and all this stuff, like you want to show them like, Hey, I can do all these things. They're not going to value that until they value the thing itself. And again, that's kind of what I, you know, started the sentence with, but all of that is to say you can do both though, as, as a person yourself, like you can be grounded by the perception or the perspective that you have, but then you can also like nice things like and go buy nice things like it or you can you can be a model but you can also have that perspective and want to help change the lives of kids back home like there's no definitive line that you have to walk on um because it's easy to categorize yourself like yeah. there are people that are i i don't want to say bad but not the greatest representations in either category mm -hmm. and you, you know, you just need people like yourself to blur that line and show like, I can go spend a $1,000 at X designer store. And then I can also change the lives of like five kids. Yeah. And yeah. me liking both doesn't mean I'm not doing either one justice. Yeah. And I feel like that is such a, like, that is it like that mindset, like right there is like what I feel like I've been fighting for and trying to live by because it's like, why? be one thing like who told you that you can only be or do one thing and that's what I've always struggled with like even when I do my philanthropy projects like for my birthday too right I was able to raise over a thousand dollars for Dio which is this um 
what like South Asian organization um, in Houston and it, they fight against domestic violence and help aid sexual assault survivors and, like domestic violence survivors okay and um, it's just like I felt like okay like people like you know like everyone has their judgment right and one of the things is like the judgment that like oh like she's in Europe right now traveling in, in this country and this and that and like she's trying to do this like philanthropy project or like whatever and I used to get more of that when I worked with like other organizations before like when I was working with Child Rescue Coalition before I did Miss Houston and people are like oh she's just doing it because it's like performative etc but I've always been doing that like I've been doing philanthropy projects since I was 16 years old and just because I'm different now and I'm not in high school and I'm doing them on a larger scale and I'm also modeling and traveling the world doesn't mean I still don't have the same mission that I had years ago and like some people may find that mission later in life but it's like you can do all of those things because like I know at the end of the day like I want to help women and children and even the men like in the villages I want to help educate people on the importance of financial literacy I also want to aid like sexual assault survivors and domestic violence survivors and figure out what I can do in my means right now to help them and then one day help them on a larger scale. But it's like at the same time, I have to, you know, you have to like fill your own cup before you fill into others. And like for me, a big part of that is really breaking glass ceilings and like trying to become the woman that I'm meant to be. Because like, you're right, like there aren't the best representatives on either sides, right? But like, why can't you be that person? Like I want, I hope like more people start to look at themselves that way. Like, okay, why can't I be that person? Because when I was doing Miss Houston and then I placed top five and I was the first Indian American to place top five at Miss Houston USA, like this is the most diverse city in like Texas and one of the most diverse cities in the United States. Like, how am I the first? But it's like, you know, I had to overcome my doubt and have that like, desire that like I'm meant for more or I can be more and I like decided to do it like I said two months before I had no idea how to do it but it's like I did it so that I could I don't know like I kept do you think that switch happened for you sorry to interrupt but when do you think you started to realize that you can turn doubt into confidence was it yeah. a, was it something that compounded over time or was it like an immediate switch that you can recognize and speak of yeah. No, I would say I started to change doubt into confidence because instead of seeing some of the things as like limiting factors, like I think I was telling you earlier um, that I, growing up, like I wasn't necessarily even considered pretty. Like guys would ask me out for fun. Um, I was always like made fun of. And I know that people look back and they joke about my transformation videos. I mean, like they're out there. Like sometimes I like to just like laugh at like myself sometimes, but it's like, I was also a young girl, like growing through all these phases and I think, um, you know, and then eventually, like, I started to, people would compliment me, and I didn't know how to take a compliment, and things like that, and I feel like over time, I had to start building that self-confidence, like, I think the switch happened over time, mostly because I started doing affirmations, and that really helped me, too, because it's, like, what you think about, and what you put out there is, like, all your mindset, right, and really starting to do those shifts um, internally, helped create that overall confidence and like that catalyst because then like when I came back from India I started to study harder and I started to like get better and better and even though it was like slow and over time like I was making different sacrifices like not going out all the time or like eating healthier making better choices that helped my mental health and then that like 
you know, what we talked about in the beginning, like your little small habits every day are what change your whole life and the trajectory of your life. And I think one day, like I did wake up and I was like, you know what, like, why can't I do that? Or when the opportunity presented itself and I got an email and it was like, oh, like you've been considered as a contestant for Miss Houston. Like, and just pr- someone told me to like anonymously like apply. I was just like, I never thought I would do this, but also why not? I was really grateful to get to that point because I was like why not because all these brands before that like had slowly been reaching out to me and that's when I started the modeling thing and then I landed Buff Bunny collection and I was able to like model with Heidi and like I really like looked up to this woman too and like to be able to work with a fitness influencer model slash also business owner that I really looked up to like it just created even more confidence. And then I was around all these people that were building and structuring these awesome, like their dreams into reality. And I was like, why not? And like, I think I can, or at least I'll have the audacity, like, you know, to go for it. Yep. And I think that's why I like stepped totally outside my comfort zone and signed up for a pageant and was like, I have brains. I think I'm beautiful. I think I'm capable. Like, you know, I still didn't feel like I was like the most beautiful person in the world or anything, but I was like, you know, I think I'm doing something. I'm learning at least how to take a compliment. So I think I can get up there on that stage. And it was still terrifying. Like right before I went on the stage, I was like, oh my God. I was like having this like freak out moment. I was like looking over at my friend. Um, and I was just like, I, there's like no choice now, obviously, but I can't believe I'm about to do this. And it was awesome. I don't know. No, definitely. Like throwing yourself in in the in the fire essentially is the best way to be immune to it. Um, you should feel uncomfortable um, in yeah. situations, and then you realize that shit never mattered. Like, yeah, all, this happens all the time, and still, despite that, despite people talking about it, there are individuals that limit themselves mentally and don't want to do anything. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm starting to learn that that's okay too. Um, I don't think everybody should do something. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think everybody should be doing something. Yeah. And and they don't want to, and they're not comfortable doing that. And that's fine. And I think the old version of myself would like try to encourage them to do more. I don't know, like try to be like, oh, well, you could do this or like, yeah. you know, and always try to like find a way to like <laughs> help them or something. But like some people really like don't want to be helped or they don't really want more. They find like, having a simple life is like the way that they want to live and they don't want to grow outside of their small town friends or like their small town like life which is you're right like it's fine a lot of value in that too like I think if you if we really boil it down this is an experience that we have ourselves and like what we see through our eyes nobody else is seeing and what we feel nobody else is really feeling the way we feel it and if in that moment in that lifestyle rather they're always at peace and they're always happy and they're always like content and they don't have these spikes in dopamine when something good happens. Or, you know, for example, if you win something like win an award or something or make a lot of money investing, like if you're immune to those spikes, which by the way, while you're making a lot of money and doing all this shit, like you should strive towards being immune to those in my opinion. Cause I, I find that it's very valuable to not get caught up in the highs or the lows, yeah. but to a simple person, maybe our parents included like you know maybe for my mom getting that coke was the equivalent of me buying my dream car like it's the same level of happiness which is so fascinating because 
all the shit that I went through to be at this point mm -hmm. doesn't compare to all the stuff she did. And it's like, well, why did I even suffer if all I had to do was detach expectation from my reality? Yeah, exactly. And I think like being detached to the outcome is a huge part of it all, right? Like we can dream and we can set those goals, but like sometimes when you want something too much, like the universe will take it away from you or will always like limit you. Cause it's also like, you have this case of like, I deserve this because I went through this. And that was something that I really had to train my mind to like, say like, no, like you are not as deserving as like the next person, like, you know? And I think really being detached to the outcome, like even when I did Miss Houston, I wanted it so bad, but I was detached because I was like, okay, like, you know, regardless, like I'm still going to be who I am. I'm getting this amazing experience where I did something totally new. It was awesome to see the amount of people that were inspired by me and even now like I had posted it on TikTok and I was like you know I did this and I posted a year later and a year later all of these young girls that had always been interested in doing a pageant but never like thought that they saw someone that looked like them up there or like thought that it wasn't possible because it was only for like the white girls or like other you know like other races just anyone um they just never saw someone like me, like even with the fitness line, right? Like when I started modeling, they're like, thank you, because I'd never seen someone like you. I've never seen like an Indian fitness model be up there and, you know, on the website of this main page of this brand, like on their, all of their new campaigns, things like that. And it showed them like, well, you can like, you know, and I think that's what kind of kept me going, like in the modeling world, because I never really thought I would do it. And at first it was just like, eventually like boosting my own self-confidence and helping me and then it, it became bigger than me and then that's why I still sometimes feels like feel like I do it or I even when I don't feel as motivated to like um I don't know like work out or work really hard I'm getting really exhausted all the time I just have to remember that like the purpose is greater than me and like in the long run and that's always usually helps me like kick myself out of that like loop that you were talking about right like validation and stuff like that because like social media is a tricky tricky like game it's a line because like for me it's like I love being present and in the moment but also when you're trying to grow your social media how else are you supposed to do it if you're not, if you're like you know working on it by yourself like you have to grow it you have to be on it you have to be in in that game in that field <laughs> and um it's hard because whether you realize it or not, you are getting dopamine spikes from the likes and the um, algorithm working in your favor. You're like, oh my yeah. gosh, you can't get caught up in it because it really, really affects your mindset. Like, and you're right. And I'm trying to actually work through that myself because whenever I go viral or something, I get excited and I feel it, right? Like, I think anyone would naturally be like, whoa, like this is happening. But then it's like, if I get less views or something, I'm like, huh, but I'm like, I'm training my my brain like as soon as I feel that feeling I'm like no like I can't you have to like stop that thought Absolutely. and like rewire it because I'm like I want to feel the same whether this is going like this like I Michelle want to feel grounded and centered and remember that it's all really working out for me in the end whether it's working at a fast rate or a slow rate it's all working out it's all being crafted because you're in alignment and you want to keep your energy very centered because that's I don't know it's like a huge part of your mental health right that's why like it literally chemically affects your brain and then we go into these like major states of depression like even more you know like 
than we'd like to or more often than we'd like to and it's creating a different dynamic for the younger generations and even our generation <laughs> like it really is our brains aren't evolved to handle first of all this much stimulation but second of all have our worth be um moving around like that like if you've ever traded options and you watch that the spikes just going up down moving like that's basically your worth when it comes to social media it's just all over the place it's not like a gradual increase and it's kind of interesting in that regard um hearing you know hearing people like you talk about that i think will help shape the perspective for younger people um into not valuing that and i don't know if that's necessarily going to happen but yeah. it, even if it impacts a small percentage of people i think it'll save them from being at the mercy of something they don't have control over that's like ultimately what it is you really can't control somebody else's perception of you you can influence it and we you know people lose their entire household and bank account trying to influence other people's perception of them and it's it's a sad thing I don't know if you've observed it in like Indian culture especially where comparison is like one of the biggest things yeah. How much money yeah. do you have and how much, you know, what car do the, does this person have? And that like ruins families. Yeah. Fucking and, crazy. Yeah. And I feel like people do that to me all the time too. It's like, and even when it comes to like, like they do do it to like me and like it just an in Indian society. It's like, because we're still building. Right. And like, I'm growing. And it's like, even if I don't have the nicest car, they're like, oh, well on social media, she looks like this. Like you'd expect her to have like this like brand new Porsche and I'm like it's it's coming it's coming but it's like I don't have it right now like I'm still young I'm still building I'm growing and like that's a huge thing that I realized too like not it it really is like nothing as like what is it nothing as it seems <laughs> what is this saying I don't know why I'm blanking like nothing is as it seems and that's what I think social media is like it's nothing is what it like it looks like through the lens of like it's just a snapshot right and that's why I do hope like talking about it will make younger people feel better because also at the same time like sometimes people will treat me differently right when they meet me in person and then they're like oh like what's your Instagram and they go look at it and then they see I have a couple thousand and they're like oh and it's weird because they start to treat you differently and I'm like wow you were just being so rude to me like literally a few minutes ago and now you want to be nice to me like it's value system yeah and it's it's really sad and disappointing but then it's like at the same time too like one of my friends um she's an amazing model she has like a couple like thousand followers she's you know she's done it for years and a huge thing that I love about her is that she always shows the reality of her life because that's what she does full-time right and like she's not making like bank like she makes good money and she's comfortable and she's happy but Mm -hmm. she shows the reality of her life and like what she drives like her with her dog and it's like very wholesome and it's very real like it's very like realistic it's not crazy and in in reality we value reality yeah and it's (laughs) it was just crazy to like meet her and like see her in a certain way and this is why like I will always be grateful like the biggest thing I'm grateful for is like the perception that this life has given me as like a soul like and to meet these people that have like even thousands of followers but live such a humble life or like the vice versa right or like people that like don't really use social media at all maybe have like 200 followers but they're like on these multi-million dollar yachts like doing their own thing because they're like this is the life I want to live you know and they'll never post about it 
I'm kind of trending in that direction myself, like forcing myself. This is what I've started doing. Whenever I find myself in a situation where the previous version of me would pull the phone out and like start documenting, I forcefully don't document. Like I will sit there and enjoy the moment and not care about posting that story or posting that picture or like doing any of that shit. It's, it's so, it's so freeing in a lot of ways, but it's also like, you almost have to find a middle ground because if you don't do that, you lose that social credibility that does open up doors for you. People look at your Instagram and want to work with you because of the way your Instagram looks, not because of what they can, you know, learn about you necessarily. Which is what's, it's really like a double-edged sword. That's what like people say that all the time, but it really is because it is true like I get invited to like I got invited to the Houston Symphony right very recently and they reached out to me through Instagram (laughs) then they invited me for like India's 75th celebration like Independence Day celebration and I would have never gotten that invitation if they didn't see me through like social media or like they didn't somehow find that connection but like what you're saying is also something I'm going through right now because like now when I'm going to all these like nice restaurants or like places like even when I'm traveling like it's been hard because when I went to Europe I really wanted to just be in the moment and I just didn't post all the time like I came back home and then I post and everyone's like oh she's posting all her stuff from Europe and I'm like yeah because I didn't want to post while I was actually there because I wanted to enjoy every little moment and then even then it's like I'm not posting some of I like notice like these places that I used to frequent like people frequent in Houston all the time like Toulouse or like all these places in the River Oaks district like I remember how cool like it would be to go there and like post that story or whatever it is and now I'm just like I mean I'm here and I'm in the moment and I don't really feel the need to like let everyone know where I'm at and that also goes into safety concerns for me but like it's also like oh, yeah, that's you know like where you're at or what you're doing like you're with the people that you're with you know it's just I think I'm trying to do the same thing because you don't really have anything to prove to anyone but it's also like if you want to post whatever you want to post like you can because it does give you like some sort of social credibility and you're kind of letting people know that you're not really off the face of the earth or anything sometimes it's It's so weird though I feel like I mean I'll be honest about it I, I don't mind opening up um I feel like for for a long period of time for me it it was directly correlated to my self-worth and I felt the need to maintain a certain image and be like, I want you to know what I'm doing so that you understand that I'm like either better than you because you shit on me in the past or like whatever it is. Right. And it's so hard to detach from that. Cause I don't know. I mean, there's value in the perception. Yeah. I mean, it definitely sells. You can make a lot of money from it. You can, yeah. you can literally like, capitalize off of perception yeah and I feel like that's what you're doing right like as influencers and things like that we like I feel like whenever I'm making money off reels and stuff I am capitalizing on the perception that people have of me but like what you're saying is so true because like growing up like what I was saying like people never thought I was pretty enough they made fun of me they told me like I wasn't outgoing they made fun of me for my skin tone I still get the skin tone comments like all the time like um or like 
just putting me down in every sort of way because I was just this like nerdy awkward girl growing into like the person I am and it's kind of like funny because all those people there comes a period of time and I'm sure you went through it where they all come around and they all tell you how good you're doing they all congratulate you and or apologize which is great and you can say thank you accept it and kind of like but there was a period like that I went through too where I was like I want people to know that I'm doing good and I'm and I'm still doing good and I'm going up and but it's kind of like that's not who I think we both are innately as humans I think like we're both more grounded and humble but that it was like our ego trying to say like you gotta let them know and sometimes like you still gotta let people know like who you are that's the problem honestly like because I struggle with that right sometimes I'm like damn like I really like want to put this person in their place but I'm like no I'm not going to do it that way but I gotta let them know like this is who I am and like if you don't want to take me seriously that's fine but get out of my way like you know and or it's like don't come for me unless I send for you is like my favorite one right like they'll try to talk about you or put you down and that uh, I think that's like the funniest part and it's always like a dangerous game that you're playing because you also don't want to put this like negative energy out there but I think it is important that people know like who you are and like you can stand up for yourself. Like when someone disrespects you, like sometimes there are certain things that you can brush off, but sometimes you got to let them know that you don't tolerate that <laughs> and eject, like eject them out of your life. Absolutely. Um, really appreciate your time and this conversation. Please let everybody know where they can find you and anything else you have going on. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram at underscore Nishala and on TikTok with the same handle. <laughs>